either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, we've been waiting for this week for quite a while. Can't wait to dig in. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from madwolf.com. Finally, we've got the release of Clifford the Big Red Dog. No. No, that's not it, is it? No, that's that's not (laughs) it, no. It is a spiritual sequel, quote-unquote, to the horror film Candyman from 92 that returns to the now-gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. Candyman. I think I made a mistake. I brought him back. Candyman isn't real! Something's happening to me. He had a purpose for you. To be another one of his terrible stories. I guess he found me. I am the writing on the wall. The sweet smell of blood. That's already twice. You've said it twice. Now, quit it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a good move. But yeah, we've been looking forward to this for so long. Um, and I think one of the unintended byproducts of Jordan Peele's success is that early on when this was announced, everybody thought he was directing it. Yeah. And he's not. He's producing it and he's co-writing it. And co-writing it with Nia DaCosta, who is directing it. And a lot of people, it's understandable, people didn't know her name. She has done one feature before this, one that we loved, called Little Woods, yes. a smaller movie. But now she's jumping up, and she is directing this. She does a brilliant job. We love this movie so much. The hard thing about it, talking about it is to not spoil anything, right. because we do not want to spoil anything. But it's it's one of those sequels that we appreciate so much, especially a horror sequel, because, as we said in the uh, written review, it very much honors where it came from and honors its roots, but it also does a great job of moving the story forward, giving it a new angle, and making you rethink the entire thing. Yeah, it absolutely does. And uh, Nia DaCosta's direction is just brilliant. It is. You know, one of the things that great horror does is hold a mirror up to society. And not only is that what this film does, but she reminds you of that repeatedly by the way she uses mirrors, which obviously she has to because a very big part of the legend, right? You look into the mirror, you say his name five times, and then he kills Mm -hmm. you. But it's not just the way she uses the mirrors for those scenes. It's just the way she uses it throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's so artfully done. Yes, there's bloodshed. Oh yeah, there yes, is. Yes, it's a horror movie, but at the same time, it to me it still felt a little bit restrained because of the way she frames that bloodshed. A lot of times with mirrors, right? And it's so artfully done, which makes sense because so much of this story is set in the art world. You've got this up and coming artist, uh, Anthony McCoy. He's played by Yahai Abdul Mateen II, who played Bobby Seale. So, so great in um, the, the return of the Chicago, the trial of the Chicago Seven. Right. And he's this up and coming artist. And he has not heard of the Candyman legend. And when he hears it from the manager of a laundromat, played by Coleman Domingo, who's having a great year. He's so good in this so movie. Good, so good to see him always, but he's great in this. As soon as he hears of the legend, then it starts affecting his work. His, his work turns much more dark. 
And then, as his work gets out, it leads to people being curious and doubtful about this legend, and that's not a good idea to test it. And then the bodies start piling up, and Anthony is suspected, and then that threatens, first of all, his his girlfriend, uh, Brianna, played by Tiana Paris. First, it threatens her up-and-coming career in the art world, and then maybe her safety. Right. And, And that's where... That's where it starts to to bring the story and bring the legend and and the uh, the body count into the now, and it's so firmly rooted in the now because first of all, as as you made a great point in our written review, she takes back the point of view of the film. If you remember from 1992, it was very much Virginia Masden's story, and now it's not. No, it isn't. So the first the first movie is a great movie, and as much as I think. It was, in a lot of ways, a groundbreaking movie. It is also a white movie. It's mm-hmm. told from a white perspective, a yeah. very white perspective. And, uh, you know, uh, she goes, Virginia Madsen's character is a, a college student, and she goes into Cabrini Green looking for this urban legend. But even in her notes, which DaCosta refers to in this movie, it's a very white take on the urban yes. legend. So she uses that, DaCosta uses that as a way to sort of not just take back the narrative of this film, but just... Just to take back the narrative, just to say, this is our story, my story, I'm telling it. And and starting with Cabrini Green in itself. Yeah. Because she was coming at it, in the original, from a white perspective and being scared of that area of Chicago. And, and why was she scared of it? And how did it get that way? We'll start by reframing that. Yeah. And then move it forward. And own the narrative, take it back, come at it from a, yes, a social justice perspective, but more than that, a perspective of looking at the repercussions of of trauma, of long-term trauma, generational trauma, and, uh, boy, I don't want <laughs> I'm trying hard to phrase this correctly, of accusations that are treated as frivolous, like accusations about a, a boogeyman that are, oh, that's not real. Well, accusations of other things, right. like oppression and things things that, that happen to your community that are just laughed off and, and said are, that are not treated with any merit. All that is brought into this in, in such a, an organic way. It, it just comes off as, to me, especially with the, with the uh, tagline of say his name, you know, Candyman, that's part of it. You say his name. Right. But then you can imagine how that is brought into the social justice angle. Say his name. You've got a character named Brianna. It's perfect. It's perfectly done without being, I didn't think, without being overbearing, but it brings it all together so organically and then moves it forward and gives, like we said, the, the entire origin story a new a new frame of reference. Yeah, and one of the things, you know, so often, especially in a horror sequel, you need a character in the film who is going to explain the backstory to the protagonist, which is a vehicle for explaining the backstory to the audience. Sure. Mm-hmm. And in this case, that character is Coleman Domingo. Now, mm-hmm. if you can get an actor of that caliber to play, I mean, he is so good in this movie. And it's not just his performance. It is, again, it's the way she shows us the backstory, which, if you've seen the glorious teaser trailer, that paper-cut puppet oh, shadow, oh. oh, my God, so gorgeous. You know, and that's one of the things about this movie. It, there, It's a bloodletting, but it's gorgeous it, it is. is gorgeous it's so there's just such grotesque macabre beauty everywhere in this movie yeah if you saw that teaser trailer like us and were blown away by those shadow puppet paper cut things just know that they do bring it in 
not only in the in the meat of the movie to to reenact what happened uh, years before, but then at the end you get this great and and it's not a it's not a stinger. It's not something you have to wait through the credits for. While the end credits are rolling, they split the screen and put the credits on the right side, and on the left side you see these other stories that unfortunately are not fictional. Some of them, and you'll. You'll be reminded of what they are. You'll be able to pick them out, and they're they're heartbreaking in that way. But they're they're just beautiful how they're played out. Yeah, the art. Th- this the art. The artistry throughout this movie is is remarkable. Yeah, and it's a great. First of all, it's a great horror movie. Yes, it is. Full stop. But it's also a a sharp piece of social commentary, and it gets it all done in ninety minutes. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's, there's it's so much nuance and depth to this yeah. to, to get this accomplished in this quick of a time frame is really. Pretty astonishing. Yeah, I had some people asking this morning, oh, this is probably one of those long... No, no, it is 90 minutes in and out, and it's a great ride, and it, it is bloody, and it's so visually stunning, and a, and just a great piece of storytelling, and there are things that happen, especially if you're a fan of the first one, that are going to be very satisfying, uh, that we don't want to spoil at all. Even if we started to go there, it, it would take too long to explain. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to be satisfied. If you're a fan of the first one, you're going to be satisfied. We can't imagine how you wouldn't be. But that's that's really the least of what this film accomplishes. It's true. Um, it's, 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 it's fantastic. Yeah, Nia DaCosta cannot wait to see what she has in store. And, and go back. It's not a horror movie, but go back and look up Little Woods, It's brilliant. Uh, by the it's way. A, yeah, it's an independent, it's an indie yeah. drama, but it's a great movie. Yeah, and we should really mention, because there is a third writer. It's Jordan Peele. Nia DaCosta, and also Wynn Rosenfeld. So he was involved in the writing as well. So let's give him credit because it's really well written, but yeah, it's it beautifully, beautifully directed. And and just go see it. It's in theaters. I'd love to see this thing just make a buttload of money. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, so, so great and so worth seeing. And uh, and and by all means, let us know because we'd be shocked if you're if you're a horror fan, especially. I mean, if you're not a horror fan, then no. This is a bloody movie. It's yeah, a it's horror scary. Movie. <laughs> it's a horror movie. It's not going to be one of those that uh, at awards time people are pushing as a thriller. This is a horror movie. I know. Uh, um, is that always the way? Oh no, yeah, Silence is. of the Lambs. It's really yeah. a thriller. No, it's not. Right. But and, the other thing, though, which is uh, incredibly rare, it's the rare horror sequel that is far superior to the original. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, just just makes you rethink everything. In, in a great way. So, big recommendation. Candyman in theaters starting now. Next is a husband and wife forced to reevaluate themselves and their relationship through the reality of the COVID 19 lockdown. It's together. They just announced the lockdown. We're getting through it. I hate your face. My face? I hate your face. Oh, you hate my face? It's just your face. I hate it. We should never got together in the first place. Madness. You know, is this is it a lockdown phenomenon? Are other people experiencing this? I think there's this chance that we'll somehow end up in this place that is the love that exists beyond hate. It's unique. Did you hear that in a song or something? My heart is home. What we're doing doesn't mean nothing to me. My heart is what I feel for you, it's so weird. Are you trying to say you love me? Well, I'm trying to say I sort of love you. Something we've seen a lot of in the last year is uh, films that make the most of limitations. And that's a lot of it because there were a lot of limitations put on filmmakers. But man, you know, some of them, like like these filmmakers, found some inspiration in that. Yeah, this is very much a pandemic production, not only in putting it together, but in the story it tells. It was filmed in less than two weeks 
one location with really two main actors and a child, so two and a half, <laughs> two and a half <laughs> actors. And uh, how you, how much you enjoy this, or how much you might be interested in seeing it, will probably depend on how entertaining you think it is to be reminded of what we're living in right now, right. or what we just came out of, and are still trying to come out of. Because yeah, the husband and wife just there's no names, just he and she. He is James McAvoy. She is Sharon Horgan. They're both great, and it's they were splitting up anyway, but now they have to stay together. It's day one of lockdown in Britain, and they just, right away, they're breaking the fourth wall. They talk right to us as, as they talk about their feelings for each other. I hate your face. Uh, <laughs> I want to feed you poisonous mushrooms. <laughs> and it's very funny in the early going, and the two of them are fantastic. I mean, these are demanding roles. Director... Uh, Stephen Daldry utilizes long, extended takes, and eventually, after the, the the barbs, the funny barbs start dying down, you get into more long soliloquies about their true feelings. So they're very, they're very good. Both actors are very good, and reason, really, the main reason to see this. Uh, so in the early uh, in the early going, it, it's funny, and then it starts moving toward more poignancy and talking about the all the ways that this situation this pandemic has changed us from the small inconvenient ways to the large heartbreaking ways and and there are both and the more it goes along especially i mean american audiences are going to come at this differently than british audiences because there's a different part of the pandemic that we're seeing right now play out in america that is not brought up in this at all it's like where are the death cults uh where uh, but that's because this is a british set mm -hmm. movie and a british production but uh, it is entertaining. I totally get it. If you're like, why would I take a night out to go out <laughs> and be reminded of this hell that we've been living? I get it. I get it. But it's, it's one of those situations where I don't think we are really going to be able to process what we're living through, maybe for decades. Yeah. We're just trying to get along. It's sort of interesting to just stop and try to take stock while it is going on. Mm -hmm. But I totally get it if you think there's no way. That's not the sort of thing I'm, I'm interested in for entertainment. Totally get it. But if you do, it is entertaining and is often very funny and, uh, and does have something poignant to say. And it is in theaters right now, and it's called Together. Well, let's go to Hulu next. A couple meets up with another couple while on vacation in Mexico, but their friendship takes an awkward turn when they get back home. It's Vacation Friends. Okay, look, we just got to contain it. This only happened because you said see you later. I said it without meaning it like any decent person would. <laughs> and somehow he's charming my dad. Hope you're comfortable in a foursome. As long as there's at least one girl involved. Everywhere they go. What do you, baby fickle bitch? Chaos happens. This weekend is all about you. Well, I like the sound of that. We do too. Jesus. Good evening, everyone. What is he doing up there? Marcus and I crossed paths in Mexico. You guys know each other intimately. This is the best wedding I've ever been to. So if, on the other hand, you want to stay at home and be reminded of all the stuff you couldn't do all of last year, <laughs> yeah. here you go. If, if you have already have Hulu, because this movie, it is fun. You will laugh. Is it a reason to go get Hulu? No, it's not. Is it? But if you have Hulu, fire it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were laughing, and it takes its little Rel Howry and Yvonne Orji, and they played, I guess they played a couple already on Insecure, the oh, okay. show. Uh, so they're back as a couple, and they're going to Mexico to get engaged. He wants to propose. And uh, they're, they're sort of uh, a little bit uptight, a uptight, little bit uptight, um, and not wild and crazy at all. 
But at the resort in Mexico, they meet John Cena and Meredith Hagner's couple, and they are nuts. As, They're nuts. As uh, Lil Rel tells him, everything you touch turns to drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so they want a party. And they make friends during the during the vacation, and some crazy things happen. And then they go their separate ways. And months later, oh, they're having the big lavish wedding, all kinds of money spent by her parents. And then who crashes the wedding but the uh, partiers? And it's antics, of course it is. It's contrived, but is it funny? Yeah. It is funny. John Cena is funny. He's a funny actor. He is. He, uh, you know, just a couple of weeks ago in Suicide Squad, he was funny. And in this movie, he is also. He's just, he's a very reliable comic for, force. And the interesting thing we mentioned, since we mentioned to ourselves as we were watching it, since we had just seen Suicide Squad, when he was mammoth, yeah. he was so big. I mean, he's always big, but he's, he's leaner He's leaner. Now, which is funny to say because he's still huge, but at least he's not... He's human. He right. takes his human form in this one. <laughs> because when he's playing these roles, you you have to take into account he's he's so big that if it were any sort of realistic scenario, everyone that saw him would go, "Good God, man!" Right. But he's least to the point where yes, he works out quite a lot, but he doesn't. His his arm now is not as big as a tree trunk. Right. Exactly. So it's a little more understandable size if he wants to not play a superhero. Right. right. Exactly. Uh, but he is. He's got a lot of charisma, and it's great to see Lorel Howery play not the best friend. Right. I mean, even right now, he plays the goofy best friend in Free Guy. Um, and he's solid for doing that. He is. Yeah. I mean, I mean but, he, but he's got really a career of playing the goofy best friend. Here he's the lead. He's the very straight-laced lead. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he does a fine job. And he and John Cena have great chemistry. And they, they really do. They make an excellent odd couple. And odd couple is always such a very standard, you know, great return on oh, yeah. investment yeah, for, yeah. For, for, uh, for comedy. Yeah. In this case, though, what I think is the most interesting thing to me about this movie is that it's an uptight, straight-laced couple who uh, go away, they run into wild, not very well-sketched-out, nutty, zany, who teach them how to loosen up, and then the straight-laced couple goes home to their very wealthy, very uptight Big family for a wedding. The fact that the uptight couple and the very rich family is black and the wild couple who magically Magical, teach them right, yeah, right. To, to lighten up is, is white. That alone makes this movie interesting to me because it would be so easy. In fact, I've seen a hundred times, half of those times starring Eddie Murphy, where this is just switched, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I thought that was very interesting. And and again, I really just like the idea of Lil Rel Howery Leading a movie. Mm -hmm. I guess this has been a long time coming, this movie. Originally, from what I read, the original stars attached to this were Nicolas Cage and Will Smith. <laughs> okay. And yeah, and then some some other stars down the line. But finally, it is here. And yeah, it's it's perfectly contrived fun. Again, yeah. if you have if you have Hulu, I don't think you're going to be sorry that you fired it up. And that is Vacation Friends. All right, let's go from Hulu to Netflix. Bob Ross brought joy to millions as the world's most famous art instructor, but a battle for his business empire cast a shadow over his happy trees. This is Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal, and Greed. I've been wanting to get this story out for all these years. Well, the first thing, spoiler alert, I don't want to crush your soul, but you'll find out about this documentary is that Afro was not real. That was actually really quite a surprise to it me. It was. Because who chooses that? I know. It's interesting <laughs> to see his, his real hair. But no, he chose that. Yeah. But uh, it was a look, and everybody knew him. It's true. Uh, the, the happy trees. 
what's interesting about this is as it's telling his story and how he his life and how he got to be uh, the art instructor and then and then um, became so famous. All of that is pretty standard. It's really the story begins. The hook here is after he passed away. He was only 52 Aww. when he passed away from from uh, cancer. It's after that and the fight for his empire and the fight for BRI, Bob Ross Incorporated, which is now controlled by the Kowalskis, Annette and Walt Kowalski, his partners early on. And that's what the meat of this story is, the fight about it, because his son, Bob Ross's son, Steve, is shut out completely. And the, we should say the producers here are um, Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone. And they have already said they did not set out to make a hit piece but when they got into doing this they started to find out oh there's something juicy here and already the Kowalskis I guess are issuing statements about you know refuting it and all that so make up your own mind but there's there's some some damning uh, things presented I mean beginning with he's former CIA Right. I, you know, I almost hesitate to say that out loud, but honestly, I know. don't don't get into business with somebody who used to be in the CIA. Right. That was like, oh my. I think, you know, maybe I won't. <laughs> but uh, there's some shady things that they bring up, um, and uh, it, again, up to left up to your own mind to decide. But it's interesting just to see how he became an unlikely superstar with him and his happy trees. And then, of course, it's sad. It's almost like, you know, behind the music, behind the brushes. You know, yeah. the sad part of it. Uh, he wasn't on drugs or anything, but I mean, the, the fight afterwards, as it says in the title, The Betrayal and the Greed, uh, the fight for his empire, what happened after he passed away. So uh, make up your own mind, but it is interesting, especially if you happen to be a fan, and it's on Netflix now. Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal and Greed. Here's a crime drama that's streaming now, the complicated relationship that formed between the FBI analyst Bill Hagmeyer and serial killer Ted Bundy during Bundy's final years on death row. It's no man of God. What do you think he wants? You and I will sit down and have the conversation you've wanted this whole time. When you get too close to a guy like this, you can lose your way. Do you think you could kill somebody? I'm an FBI agent. That's not what I'm saying. You can't hold these girls hostage. I'm not playing games. How many did you kill? Let's say 30. Let's say we talk about the real number. 30 is a nice round number. You're getting inside my head. I'm looking for understanding. You think they should kill me, don't you? You think it's my time to die? Frankly, they probably should have done it a long time ago. I'm going to take you somewhere that I've never taken anyone before. I need a moment with Bill. He's my best friend. There's been a lot of movies, obviously, about Ted Bundy. The one thing that struck me here is Luke Kirby. He looks like him. He does. He really kinda, does. kind of eerie. Yeah. He really does. Yeah. Now, he does, and it is eerie. And he, he gives a great performance, actually. And then uh, as the profiler who he's working with, Hagmeyer, is uh, Elijah Wood, who I love. I mean, he's just always good in everything. And really, the two of them do. It's It's almost a chamber piece. There's very little in this film, aside from the two of these men talking to each other. And both of them deliver really, really solid performances. And the way their relationship kind of develops and blooms is very creepy and interesting. There are a couple things about the movie, though, that I think are going against it. One is, good God, do we need more on Ted Bundy? Boy, there's a lot. There's so much. There's another one coming out next week. Really? Yes. You know, well, crime dramas are so incredibly popular. True crime, they yeah, are. true crime true is crime super popular. But, you know, it's almost like a couple of weeks ago we talked about a documentary on Hitler, and the documentarian's whole point was, is there a way for us to discuss why people are interested in Hitler without 
adding to his legend. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, I think that might have been what I was in my head watching this movie. Because I don't think filmmaker Amanda Seeley does enough to give us a reason for this movie. Now, I'll give her credit. It's the, it doesn't follow him through the horrors of the actual murders. Right. It, 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 it just, the, his very last years on death row, that's what we focused on. So he, she certainly doesn't sensationalize what he did, and the movie is is kind of asking, why are there so many movies? It's asking, why do we want to spend time with this man? Which is the, the question that is posed very often to the profiler. Mm-hmm. And the idea is just like, just to understand. Like, you know, I think that she's posing that question. Why is true crime so fascinating to us? We just want to understand it. And at the end, it's just like, People will kill people. That's what you're trying to understand. They'll do it because they can. I think that there are also moments in the movie where she tries to point out that one of the things people rarely, really cover is the profound misogyny in not just his acts, but in the portrayals that we've seen of him. Mm -hmm. I just don't think she quite delivers on that because still the perspective is entirely these two men's. You see some women and you... I just don't think... I think she had great intentions here and uh, given the limited you know action and color palette uh, I think that she delivers a decent film but I just don't think there's a reason for it and that is on VOD and and in some select theaters as well called No Man of God Let's go back to horror. August 2007, isolated in his penthouse overlooking Central Park, obsessive Wall Street data analyst Richard Boca sees ominous patterns. His computer models are behaving erratically, as are the swarms of mosquitoes breeding in his apartment. An infestation that attends his psychological meltdown. This is Mosquito State. Something I'd like to show you. What is it? Dumbest smart guy I ever saw. You have been working yourself too hard. Do you hear it? Do you know what they're saying? Bon appetit. You want a movie that'll just make you feel uncomfortable. Oh, this is the one. Maybe slap yourself. Ooh. Yeah, this is the one. This one is on Shudder. It's a fascinating movie. I, as you know, I like horror films. I'm a big fan of horror films. I like body horror. I'm a massive David Cronenberg fan. I wanted to stop watching this movie about eight times. I just kept, like, holding my hands up and waving them about. It's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. And not just the... the. It's a really well-made, very elegant-looking movie. And it's also the sound design will just make you crazy because it's that little whining buzz noise yeah. everywhere, everywhere. Oh, my God, this movie is so effective. Um, and it's um, it's it's kind of a hallucinogenic, almost sort of. It's got Elephant Man moments about it, about this this very very odd analyst. It's we're right on the verge of the twenty uh, the two thousand eight collapse. Mm-hmm. He he works so it's it's there's a metaphor at work there. There's a metaphor at work with these bugs. He uh, kind of fancies himself in a relationship with this uh, woman who runs a wine bar that they're not really in a relationship. So they kind of have a beauty and the beast kind of a thing. It meshes together in an interesting way. It looks pretty great. It's incredibly uncomfortable for a horror film. It doesn't entirely work. It's, it simply doesn't. In the end, it's it winds up being a lot of buildup for an anticlimax. Mm-hmm. But... Man, it will make you uncomfortable. <laughs> and that is on Shudder right now called Mosquito State. Let's go sci-fi. For one set in the distant future, a female astronaut shipwrecked on the long decimated Earth must decide the fate of the wasteland's remaining populace. This is the colony formerly called Tides. 
She was called Mother Earth. We plundered everything she offered. None of us should have come back. Where I'm from, all reproductive technology efforts failed for both men and women. They want to prove that we can procreate here. On Earth. We came to Earth on the first mission. We waited so long. I saw a child. I threw that original title in there because sometimes when you're trying to look up a movie, they still have it attached to the old title. Yeah. Uh, so, But now it's called The Colony. And this was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Christy Ruff. And she found a lot to like here. It seemed like after an uneven start, she ended up liking it. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of it was, I think, the production design. The movie looks great. Uh, it makes you kind of want to visit these tide lands. But also, uh, I think the performances, they're not a lot of them. It's a, it's a fairly spare cast and the performances are really good and drive this sort of dystopian drama quite well. Yeah, and this is now on VOD, a bargain, bargain rental if you like the sci-fi thrillers at $5.99 and you can check out, again, you can check out Christie's full review at madwolf.com. But she liked The Colony. Let's go back to horror. A desperate father will risk anything, even his soul, to save his terminally ill daughter. This is Behemoth. So I'm gonna fix all this. I'm going straight to the source. I'm gonna see the main guy. How far are you willing to go? You won't stop until the threat has been eliminated. You are all a threat. I've never understood the appeal of these things. Is it supposed to deliver us from evil? First thing that caught my eye about this one was the creatures. The creatures in the trailer. And the review for this was written uh, by Brandon Thomas at MadWolf.com. And he said, unfortunately, those, they get your attention, but they end up being disappointing because they should have relied more on practical effects than digital. And it just comes off looking a little weak. Although some of them, if you're just watching the trailer, they got my attention. But this this was not one that really pans out at all. No, it's uh, it's a lot of social commentary in the form of a creature feature. And neither side of that coin uh, is very strong. They just, uh, the film really winds up and the acting is poor. And as you said, so so then what do you cling to? Well, maybe it's the creature design. Well, the creature design is great, but the digital effects make them seem silly, which is completely out of step with the right. very, very serious nature of the film. Essentially, nothing gels. No part of the movie works. Yeah, and again, the written review at madwolf.com, but not a recommendation for Behemoth, which is streaming now on VOD. And we'll wrap it up with a thriller streaming now. An immigrant travels from Sedona to L.A. to seek revenge against the immigration lawyer who ruined her life. It's Echoes of Violence. So where do we go now? Do we go back to my place? We can't. They're going to go to your house, and then they're going to go to your families. Whoa, what, what do you mean my families? It's what they do. I'm scared of Anthony, Marika, and you should be too. They will kill you. And I won't be able to show up and help you. No one will. 
be able to go home and see these calls. This is from writer-director Nicholas Woods, and the written review at MadWolf.com was by Rachel Willis. And she didn't find a lot to like here either. Well, except for uh, one of the lead performances, Michaela Russell, uh, she thought was very good. But boy, she thought the dialogue was pretty awful. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that the, the film goes a long way toward trying to rehabilitate the villain who is has done things that I don't think the audience is ever going to be prepared to forgive. So it just gives the film kind of a strange focus. Yeah, and it's one of those deals where the decisions the character makes, one of the main characters makes, is just one dumb decision after yeah, the other. Yeah, consistently that unbelievable. Really, yeah, uh, and again, that is Echoes of Violence, Rachel Willis's review, up now at MadWolf.com. And hey, let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, checking in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. Always has the latest news and reschedulings and release dates. What do you know this week? There's a lot of new dates, so much so that I'm going to have to split them up between the next couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> but um, first off, if anyone missed Corella in theaters and weren't wooed in by the premium access availability at home, and it was apparently available for free on Disney Plus now as of today. But uh, in a bit of a change of pace, there are at least 14 Netflix movies arriving later this year that are getting some sort of theatrical run. It's not clear on exactly how wide they'll be playing at this time, but some of them will have a simultaneous, uh, simultaneous theatrical and streaming release, and there's a couple others that are hitting theaters a few weeks before they hit streaming. Hmm. And uh, I'll just continue to dish those dates out as they're available. Okay. Uh, the first one will be... Uh, we already talked about Mary Elizabeth Winstead's action movie, Kate. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's going to be the first one. It's a day-and-date release on September 10th. Um, before I get into the rest of them, one thing I found interesting about this is, and I suspect it has a lot to do with uh, Netflix not wanting to share box office receipts, but some of the bigger movies they have coming out this fall are not going to be a part of this. Like. Huh. Um, the Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gadot maybe Red Notice oh, is not yeah. getting a theatrical run. Okay. Yeah. So I think some of them it skews more towards awards fair. Okay, sure. Know, just, yeah, but there's there's a couple of, of genre movies that'll be popping up in theaters from them as well. But we've got the Melissa McCarthy and Timothy Oliphant drama, The Starling. That'll begin its theatrical run on September seventeenth and then it'll hit Netflix on September twenty fourth. Antoine Fuqua's all-star thriller, The Guilty, will have a theatrical debut on September 24th and then hit Netflix on October 1st. That one's got um, Jake Gyllenhaal, Ethan Hawke, Bill Burr, Peter Sarsgaard, and a few other people in Wow. The Netflix has a home invasion thriller hitting streaming only on September 22nd. And a week later on the 29th, there is a thriller titled No One Gets Out Alive that's also hitting the service. But we were talking about some moves earlier. This next one's not moving, but it is now going day and date, and that's Adam's Family 2 will be a day and date release, but in theaters and on premium VOD come October 1st. Okay. Uh, on October 6th, creep filmmaker Patrick Bryce, sorry Patrick, but you're the one who gave your movie that title. <laughs> <laughs> His latest horror film is called There's Someone Inside Your House, and it's hitting Netflix on October 6th. Halloween? Yep, yeah, got a... Lots, lots and lots of horror coming for Halloween this Goody. year. Uh, we had already talked about that Western, The Harder They Fall. That one is getting a theatrical run on October 22nd. 
ahead of its November 3rd Netflix debut. So that'll be good. Western on the big screen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rebecca Hall's directorial debut, Passing, will begin the theatrical run on October 27th and then hit Netflix on November 10th. That one's got Tessa Thompson, Ruth Nega, and Andre Holland as the stars. Nice. And then the first of apparently many Army of the Dead continuations is hitting Netflix on October 29th. That is Army of Thieves. Uh, This one apparently doesn't really involve zombies all that much and is instead mostly just a heist film prequel involving the German safecracker from the first movie. Oh, all right. And then we have Night Teeth, which is a horror movie from the director of I See You, the Helen Hunt movie. From oh, yeah, year. that was fun. Yeah, his latest movie is hitting Netflix on October 20th. Cool. And lastly, on October 20th, there is a French thriller called Stuck Together that is also hitting Netflix. So Netflix is busy. Very, very busy, and a lot of theatrical play from yeah. them. You know, like I said, we don't know how wide they're going to be. You know, it could just be major cities. It could be 200 cities, maybe even 1,000 if some of them are hit. Mm. All right. They're so at least they're making the effort. Yes. So we'll catch up on the rest of it then next week. And in the meantime, you want to always get the latest news, you can follow at The Schlocketeer. Thank you, Daniel Baldwin. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, we've got one big one. It's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. A lot of good early buzz about that one. There's also another Cinderella. That's right. That is uh, Camila Cabello. Mm-hmm. Ooh, did I say it right? I don't know. I think I did. Uh, Cinderella, yeah. Wild Indian. The Gateway. Zone 414. The Big Scary S Word. What is that word? We'll Socialism. Find... Oh, God, no. <laughs> It Takes Three. We Need to Do Something. The other Ted Bundy movie, American Boogeyman, Ted Bundy. And Steel Song. Okay, all that is for next week. But hey, let's talk about Candyman. Lots to talk about there. Let us know what you thought, or really uh, what you thought about any of the movies this week. We always keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast. Got a brand new episode coming out where we talk about the best librarians in horror, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, You can find uh, that at the Fright Club podcast. Find all that stuff at madwolf.com. So hope you keep in touch. A lot to talk about this week. Uh, Until next week, stay well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Candy. 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 No! I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.